0: Well, good morning. How is everyone doing today? All right. Amen. Well, my name is Gus Hernandez, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I am delighted to have the opportunity to preach this morning. We're going to continue our series in Matthew 7. And I want to just say this. For those of you who are joining us for maybe the first time and you're kind of just checking out the church, we want you to know, hey, we exist to help lead people to discover and display the reality of Jesus. That's really what we're all about and we want you to know that this is a safe place to be able to explore the teachings of Jesus. So we want to invite you to lean in, to learn, to listen, and to be able to have meaningful conversations about who we believe is the most influential figure in all of history, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we're excited to continue a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest collection, single collection of Jesus' teachings in one spot in the scriptures found in the Gospel Of Matthew, but before we dive in there, I just want to kind of tell you a little bit about myself. There's something that uh, you may not know about me, and that is before Barbie and I had kids, Barbie is my wife, Uh, before we had kids, one spring, late spring, almost about to be summer, I kind of did this really impulsive thing where all of a sudden we're sitting there, we're chilling, we're kind of bored, and then I was like, yo, we should plant a garden. And she's kind of like, all right. And so here's the funny thing. If you know me and and we've we've been friends for a while, you'll come to find out that I'm kind of wired like an Enneagram 1, right? I'm very systematic, programmatic. I like to have a strategy. I like to have a plan. And yet, randomly, I also sometimes, emphasis on the sometimes, love just random spontaneity, right? So much of my life is structure, systems, process. And yet, I want to have the freedom to, like, yo, I had no plan for this, but we're going to get in the car, drive to Lowe's, and we're going to buy a whole bunch of stuff, we're going to plant a garden. And she's like, okay, did you plan for this? I was like, nah, but I would just watch a YouTube video. It can't be that hard, right? And so we're sitting there. Man, we buy all the stuff to, like, dig up this huge patch in our backyard, build some raised beds. And I'm thinking, like, yo, this is like a couple-hour project. Wrong. <laughs> this was intense. And on top of that, we were experiencing a heat wave. We were living in North Georgia at the time. And, you know, that's when I had one of those weird encounters with a neighbor. You know that neighbor who just loves to give you feedback? The neighbor who's always got a thought (laughs) and an opinion to share. And so she is watching Barbie and me just kind of slave away. We're digging up. We're tilling up all this ground. I'm assembling all these raised beds. And, you know, me being the the dummy of thinking, like, this is going to be easy. I didn't settle for building one raised beds. I was like, why do one when you can do three? So I'm building three. Hottest day so far in the year. And so my neighbor comes up and she's like, yo, you guys are like, you look like you're about to pass out from like heat exhaustion. Why did you guys pick the hottest day of the year to do all of this yardway? You know, that's a great observation, Karen. Thank you so much for your feedback. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, you want to help us? <laughs> right? It was one of those amazing moments. but he, So here's what happens. It took me forever to build those beds. And we had waited so late into the season. If anyone here who does gardening, we waited too late that we couldn't start our garden using seeds. I had to go back to Lowe's and actually buy the plants that had already started growing. And so I'm in a rush. You know. So I'm just picking up a whole bunch of plants that I think I, I was like, okay, I like these peppers. I need green peppers. I need this. And I'm just throwing them in the cart. I go home. Man, I start planting. I'm so proud of myself. This thing finally, it took us a few days. You know, it wasn't a one Saturday thing. I was foolish to think that was going to be a one Saturday thing. But finally got the plants in the ground, and I'm excited. Well, sure enough, the time has come for us to enjoy the fruit of our labor. And that's when it hit me that I made a mistake. You see, part of like the Cuban cuisine is you need sofrito, right? Who here cooks with sofrito? Yes, I see my people in the room. Yes. Some of the key ingredients for sofrito, one of them is green bell peppers. I thought I had planted green bell peppers, but what the plant produced was Thai red hot chili peppers. (laughs) That wasn't exactly going to help me make sofrito at all. That doesn't go with anything in my Cuban dishes. And I'm like, but you see, you know, when it was just leaves, they were so close together, I couldn't tell the difference. I just picked them up. On the outside... They looked the same, but the root of that plant had different ideas. You see, eventually the root of that plant, it knew what kind of fruit it was going to produce. And this is going to connect with what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. And if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to do so. Write down this simple phrase. Here's kind of like where we're going in the message today, where we're going in the sermon, is this central truth, this big idea, this thought, and it is this, the fruit of your life Will ultimately reveal the root of your heart. The fruit of your life will always reveal the root of your heart. Let's look back at the scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And just to set the stage, last week we covered verses 13 and 14. And Jesus, up until this point on the Sermon on the Mount, has been talking about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And he gives us all of these teachings and he's helping to kind of fix some of the false teachings of his day and set the record straight. He's explaining the law with his authority as the Son of God. And he gets to chapter 7, and here he starts giving some different examples. And last week we covered about this example of two paths. There's this wide path that many people take that leads ultimately to destruction. And then he said, then there's the narrow path of following the teachings of Jesus, following the commands of God that leads to life. So on the tail end of that, he moves from giving an illustration about two paths. And in here, he's going to introduce an illustration of two trees with a strong warning introduced in this. And here is what verse 15 says. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Here's the key phrase. Verse 16, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Verse 17, in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, so you'll recognize them their fruit. Jesus transitions into this section of the Sermon on the Mount by giving a strong warning to his followers to watch out for false prophets. Here's the first point of our message, and this is the warning that Jesus would give us. It was important back then, and it's still important today that we as the church should be vigilant. We as the church should constantly be examining what is being said around us, what is being taught around us. And one of the things that we must do for our own spiritual health. And the health of our spiritual communities we have to be aware and we have to watch out for false prophets now let's be honest like prophet is not necessarily a word that we use a lot today in our context and our culture so what is a prophet like when you hear that word what does that mean and here's what that meant in the old testament a prophet was someone who could speak directly from god as someone who was able to say thus says the lord they either received direct revelation from god And delivered it to God's people as they were commanded to do so, they spoke on behalf of God. So, on the flip side, a false prophet is someone who falsely claims to represent God, who falsely claims to speak on behalf of God with an intention really to just look out for themselves because they have their own interests, their own prophets in mind. And Jesus, in this passage, doesn't necessarily overtly label who he was referring to as false prophets. Some commentators believe he was probably making mention to the religious leaders at the time that were opposing Jesus and his message. Others believe he intentionally left it vague so that this warning would have a broader and continuous application for the life of the church in the years to come. Whatever the case may be, Jesus tells us to be vigilant and Jesus tells us be careful. Watch out for false prophets, false teachers. And these false teachers are anyone who claim to speak in behalf of God. And what they're trying to, in essence, do is they're coming in clothed as sheep, pretending to be one way on the outside, but inwardly completely different. And they're trying to lead people away from the narrow road, and they're trying to lure people to explore the broad road that leads to destruction. And Jesus warns his followers about these false prophets several times and he states the dangers look look at what he says on how he describes them they pretend to be sheep but they're actually wolves they are pretending to be harmless pretending to be innocent but they're just waiting for the chance to rip you apart that is the real danger that we're facing look at verse 15 there's an interesting word he says inwardly that they're inwardly Wolves, And so what you see with this word inwardly is it's it's differentiating the nature of the false prophets from their outward appearance. They're going to come across a certain way. They may be smooth. They may say things that are pleasing to the ear. They may give off a certain sense. But as you take time to examine the fruit of their life, you'll ultimately be able to see who they truly are on the inside. And that's where we have to be very careful. False teachers will always pretend to be one way on the outside, but inside their motives are completely off. They're masquerading as innocent sheep, but in reality they are wolves wanting to tear apart the church of God, wanting to sow seeds of division, wanting to lead people astray, wanting to challenge the conservative truths that we've known from God's teachings and twist them and get you to think and pursue other things that go completely against what the word of God says in different areas. But there's something interesting here in this text. Like Jesus, he doesn't necessarily give you the step-by-step criteria. Like how do you discern who these false prophets are? He doesn't say like, okay, if they teach this, don't teach this. If they say this, don't say this. He doesn't necessarily go there. He introduces the illustration of you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. Now this isn't easy to accomplish, and it's not something that's even quick to examine. Sometimes it takes time for the fruit to ultimately be revealed. I mean, in that moment when I was planting that garden, in that moment, I thought I picked up a green bell pepper plant. It was just a little seedling, a little plant. Over the next few months, I quickly realized that was not a green bell pepper plant. It took time, but eventually the fruit that that plant was bearing revealed the true identity of that plan. And for us, sometimes we have to be patient, but we have to be consistent, we have to be discerning, and we have to be wise. And we have to be examining the people that are claiming to speak on behalf of God, the people that are claiming to have truth from God and be discerning and to think through it. Ultimately, the fruit of one's life is gonna reveal the root of one's heart. Now, what's interesting is the way that the word fruit was used in the first century So in rabbinic teachings, in the Jewish tradition, fruit oftentimes was the the summation of someone's actions. In the apostolic writing, similar, but it encompassed not just our actions but also our words. I think that's very consistent with the teachings of Jesus. Fruit was therefore not just what we do in life, but it's also in combination with what we say in life. So it's word and deed. So the complete lifestyle, a holistic lifestyle, this is what Jesus is telling you to examine, not just one or the other, because someone could be really good at faking in one area, but then completely exposed in another area. He's saying the holistic approach, examine word and deed. Examine what they believe and say, and examine what they do with their life. And that, over time, will eventually reveal who they truly are on the inside. You know, one of the great examples we have of what, kind of fruit we as followers of Jesus of Jesus should embody is found in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 I'm going to read this quickly it's called the fruit of the Spirit if you are following Jesus this is the fruit of the spirit in your life it is love, joy peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control this is what that passage is saying like if someone has repented of their sins, place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. They're making an active decision to pursue Jesus. The promise that we have in scripture is that Jesus forgives you of your sin and then gifts you the Holy Spirit to reside in you and to help you in a constant battle between the flesh and the Spirit's will. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you stop struggling with sin and temptation. We are all on this journey where the flesh Broken with sin is wanting to go this direction, and the Spirit is helping guide you in the opposite direction to pursue Christ. And over time, as you learn to yield to the Spirit's leading, this is the fruit of the Spirit that you start to embody this beautiful love, this beautiful joy, this peace, this patience, this kindness, this goodness, this faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that mean that we're perfect in all these areas? No. But this is the fruit that the Spirit is trying to bear in your life. And that if you claim to be following Jesus, you claim to be yielding to the Spirit, it will become more and more evident that these traits are taking root in your heart and are mat- manifesting themselves in your speech and in your actions. It's not just being able to talk a good game, but you've got to follow through with your actions. And you're going to match what you're saying with your lifestyle. But in this passage, we see that we are examining the fruit, this holistic approach, of a false teacher, and we, as a church, should watch out for false teaching. And let me tell you, there's no shortage of that in our day and age. And I think an even pressing issue is just the speed at which information can travel today. So now, you can have someone claiming to represent God, post a video online. It can spread because it sounds good to the ear. But nobody has taken the time to examine the scripture and say, hey, this phrase sounds good, but does it line up with Jesus' teachings? Does it actually line up with scripture? It could be a really cool soundbite for a reel on Instagram or TikTok, but does it actually make sense with what we know to be true from God's word? Like doing the hard work of not just hearing something, oh, that's cool, retweet. Oh, that's cool, share this reel. Or like, Wait a minute, is that, that feels like that contradicts what Jesus said in this gospel. So it may sound cool, it may sound good and enticing, but it's not true. It, it contradicts Jesus himself, right? Like doing that hard work, we should be constantly watching out for false teaching and examining the messenger and his message. That's what we're called to do. This is what Jesus challenges the church to do. Hey guys, there's going to be a lot of false prophets coming in the future, And they're going to try to lead you astray. And it starts small. It's a small little deviation. And I think that's one of the challenges of knowing who the false prophets are and who the false teachers are. Because let's be real. The obvious enemies are the easy ones to prepare for and plan against. Like the overt cult leader, the overt like crazy person that's trying to lure you away. Like you can spot that a mile away. The tough one is the one who masquerades like a sheep but in, inwardly is a wolf. Those are usually the most dangerous enemies. The one that just enough truth to get into through the front door, just enough truth to lure you in, but inwardly their motives are not pure. And ultimately they only care about their platform increasing, their profits increasing, but they don't care about leading you down the narrow path to follow Jesus Christ. And so we should ask tough questions of anyone who stands here and anyone who is trying to speak on behalf of God. It's very important for us to be able to examine and discern what is being taught. There's some questions to consider. Does this person's behavior or character actually conform to Christ and his teachings? It's one thing that has always baffled me is the amount of spiritual leaders, so-called spiritual leaders that actually don't exhibit the humility of Christ like so if you're saying to you're speaking on behalf of God and Jesus who is the epitome of humility and we have a rise in narcissistic leaders in churches that's inconsistent fam with what Jesus is teaching us to be and so we as a church have to hold people accountable to say hey I recognize this is what's happening but this is inconsistent with the life Jesus has called us to embrace Another question to think through is, hey, do they proclaim only what people want to hear? Stuff that makes life easy and pleasurable while also ignoring the demands and difficulties of discipleship. Like the life Jesus called us to was not an easy one. Jesus himself tries to warn you several times. There's an entire chapter in scripture called the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus where Jesus gathers his followers and he gives them some of the strongest teachings ever. and He warns them straight up. If you choose the narrow path, it will be difficult. It's not going to be easy. So I immediately am skeptical of any pastor and preacher and teacher or somebody who claims that following Jesus is easy and it leads to your best life. And so here's a quote. There's a An author and a Bible scholar and commentator named Douglas O'Donnell, he does this fun thing in his commentary where he says, let's try to contemporize Jesus' teachings as if he was standing up in front of your church today with some of the titles that you see in the bookstore. And so I'm going to put this quote on the screen. He says, to contemporize our Lord's teaching, it's as if Jesus says, this is Jesus standing up, I'm teaching you self-denial and these false prophets are teaching you look great, feel great. I teach you the dangers of materialism, and they teach you to live your best life now. I'm teaching you that there's only one way to God, and they teach love wins. And the wideness of God's mercy is so wide that everyone is eventually included in his kingdom. I teach humility and dependence upon God, and they teach, hey, if it's to be, it's going to be up to me. And you can kind of see that, right? You can catch glimpses where, man, I've heard those thoughts. I've heard that mentioned in conversation. And you have to do the hard work and ask yourself, where is that teaching come from? Because if it's not coming from scripture and something that the Lord has preserved for us to know, then we have to question it and ask ourselves, is that really the path that I want to go down? Is that really what Jesus is demanding of my life? We have to be very wise. We have to be very discerning. We have to think through. And my prayer is that you don't just accept blindly anything that's ever taught here, but that you do your work and you search the scriptures and you verify whether what Pastor Carlos and I are sharing whenever we preach lines up with teachings of scripture. You know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about is like our style. We, we like to do what we refer to as expositional preaching. Expositional preaching. Here's the main point. You're trying to take the main point of the text and make sure it's the main point of your sermon. If you ever have a scripture passage read and after a 35, 40-minute message, you didn't revisit those verses and you didn't take those truths, expound upon them, help apply them, then you got to ask yourself, what are we listening to? Like, yes, you can have illustrations. Yes, you can talk about stories and jokes. They serve purposes in helping illustrate and point But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is go to the teachings of scripture, make sure we understand the main point of that text and make sure the main point of that text is the main point of our message. And that's what we're trying to do. We're we're in essence trying to condition ourselves to let the word of God be the authority in our lives and not just some random voice out there on social media, not just some random author, but the word of God preserved in the scriptures, guiding us, leading the way. That's what we're trying to do. A person claiming to speak in the name of God is to be tested, and we should test them against the doctrines of Scripture. Here's a verse, 1 John chapter 4. The Apostle John, at this point, he was one of the, like, the Apostle John was actually the oldest apostle to survive. So most of them in the early movement of the church had been persecuted and executed. John lived to be over 90 so at this point in his life, he had already seen a good 40, 50-year history of the church. And he starts writing letters to churches to encourage them on the journey. And he reminds them of Jesus' teachings about false teachers. At this point, he had already seen false teachers pop up on the scene and try to lure the church away from the teachings of Jesus. And this is what he says, 1 John 4.1. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's what we're called to do. This isn't to be judgmental. It's to be wise and discerning. It's to examine the message and the messenger. Is the fruit of their life consistent with the fruit Jesus demands from our life? Is their message lining up with what we know to be true in Scripture? If not, we have to be very cautious and careful and watch out for those false prophets. Jesus challenges his followers to also examine the fruit of one's life. Look at verse 17 through 20 as we look at our next point. Examine the fruit of one's life. Look at 17 and 18. It says this, In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Jesus now transitions to provide an illustration of two types of tree. A bad tree and a good tree. And here the bad tree is a reference to the false prophet and false disciples. This word bad in the original language um, meant rotten or decayed. Has this idea like this tree is beyond saving. It is completely rotted. It is completely decaying. And if it produces any kind of fruit, it's going to be rotten fruit. Or it probably has already lost its ability to provide any fruit. That is worth eating. So, this is a very strong, clear picture, and he's trying to make a point by using this description. He's trying to say, Look, if something is completely rotten, it's unable to produce the life giving fruit that you need to eat and to take those seeds and plant in the future. It's sick. What do you do with a sick tree? You destroy it so it doesn't get other trees to be sick as well, and it keeps passing on and spreading to your other plants. Have any of you guys ever been camping in the woods? Anybody go camping? Any of you ever had to start a fire in the woods? Yeah. So I got to go out there with some of my friends. And so what do you do when you're trying to start a campfire? What do you go looking for? Wood. And what kind of wood are you looking for? Dry wood. And how do you find dry wood? Huh? What do you guys think? I love it because you're talking to like mostly city people in the city of Miami. But some of you have come from other places. Some of you have gone camping in other places. I never went camping here in Miami. Well, I I take that back once at my high school. But we did more like, yeah, it was a parking lot. Amazing. Long story. I'll tell you that another day. Good times. My first camping experience in the city. Amazing. (laughs) But when I lived in Tennessee and Georgia, we spent some time out in the woods. You're going through and you're looking through the forest. And you're trying to find broken branches, preferably dry wood, that's going to be easy to ignite. And you're gathering them all. You bring them back to the campsite. You start arranging them. And then you start building your fire. What you don't do is you don't go through and ignore all of these branches and broken things and think through this healthy, luscious tree. it's like, oh, yeah, let me chop this down and use this for firewood when you've got all this broken, dead wood that's dried out, when this is giving life. And that's not going to be a good tree to try to light up. This is the same illustration Jesus is about to give as a strong warning to any false disciples and false teachers. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The only thing bad trees are good for is firewood. And this serves as a striking metaphor, a strong warning about the future judgment for any false prophets and false disciples. Eventually, their lifestyle will reveal the root of their heart and reveal that they were never truly part of God's kingdom, never truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And the strong warning that Jesus is providing here is about their eternal punishment. Strong words. Something that should cause us to stop, pause, and examine. But look at verse 20. He concludes the teaching by reminding us of a phrase that he introduced in verse 16. And he says, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Jesus restating this phrase is helping just wrap it all up and reminding us of the simple truth that ultimately the fruit of one's life will ultimately reveal the root of our heart. Jesus wants us to get into the habit of using discernment. He wants us to get in the habit of examining the fruit of others and examining our own fruit. You know, when I was a young pastor right out of seminary, I got a chance to spend some time with a well-known pastor at the time who had already been pastoring for several decades. And and I was excited because this is a guy who's authored some books and He's been very instrumental in helping me understand certain theological points. And spending time with this guy, we started sharing stories about our conversions. We start talking about some of the ministry that was happening at his church. And he was celebrating that some people had recently made a profession of faith. And he used a phrase in our conversation that at the time, I was kind of puzzled by the fact that he used this phrase. And I didn't really know what to say. So I just kind of listened. And I was like, oh, well, you know, that was interesting is what I'm thinking in my head. I wasn't about to like pause and like get him to like double down and explain something. But, you know, after now being in ministry for 17 years, this phrase that he used makes so much more sense for me. And the phrase was this, time will tell. As he was celebrating, he wasn't one to be a Debbie Downer. He was celebrating, man, some people in my church recently made a profession of faith, and he was excited about that. He said, but, you know, time will eventually tell whether or not they're truly devoted to Jesus Christ. Time will eventually tell whether this was a real, legit decision or not. And there was so much wisdom in that because he recognized that it takes time to truly see the fruit of one's life. That's not to say that we can't celebrate someone coming to Christ. That's exciting news. It's great stuff. We celebrate that. We're, We're joyful when we hear somebody repenting of their sins, placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are excited about that. And yet what he was telling us is time will tell. And eventually, the fruit of someone's life will reveal the root of their heart. Such an important thing for us to examine that time will tell. But we must do the hard work of examining the fruit of those who claim to speak on behalf of God. That's the job of the church. That is your job description, to examine the fruit of the people who stand before you and try to say they're speaking on behalf of God. And at the same time, it's also your responsibility to examine your own heart and your own life. So as we conclude, I just want to challenge you to be on guard. To be on guard, to be watchful for false teachers and false prophets that are all around us. In this day and age, there are so many people that don't want you following the narrow road that leads to life, following after and obeying the commands of Jesus Christ. To be vigilant, to be discerning. And at the same time, I also want to challenge you, Use this as an opportunity to examine your own heart. Like, what is God trying to teach you through this passage of scripture? As you read this, were you encouraged? Or did it cause you to step back and think, man, what is the summation of my life? Like, if someone were to examine me, is it obvious that Jesus is Lord of my life? If someone were to see how I spend my time, what I do, what I say, what I read, what I watch, is Jesus King? how I use finances, how I spend my money. If they were to examine everything of your life, is your life pointing to Jesus is Lord? Or there's still areas in your life where you're struggling to surrender over to God. And Let me challenge you, brothers and sisters. Would you turn that over to the Lord? You say, God, I want you to be Lord over all of my life. Not just part of my life, but all of it. And I want to challenge you to examine your heart. And I also want to give this warning. This text is not teaching sinless perfection. There could be this temptation where we read a passage like this, and like, oh, well, I mean, a good tree can't produce any bad fruit, so like anytime I fail and mess up, then obviously I must be lost. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what this is saying. It's like if you're truly redeemed and you've been purchased by the blood of Christ and the Spirit is truly at work in you, the more and more time you spend yielding to the Spirit, the more and more the fruit of the Spirit will be birthed in your life. And you can only accomplish things of eternal significance and eternal value when you're pursuing Jesus and doing things in the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus. A good tree is a tree that has been put in God's orchard. You're brought into God's family. And your purpose is to bring forth fruit. Like anybody who's been in gardening, if you had a plant that was producing good fruit and you notice a little dead branch, you prune it. And you cut it so that you can help this plant grow a new branch and to continue to produce fruit there are going to be seasons in our life where we go through pruning because the more you follow the spirit the more you're aware of your brokenness and your need of God the longer you're a Christian the more you you get frustrated at the sinfulness that you see now that you weren't even aware to when you first started the journey because you've grown more accustomed to listening to the spirit and the things that you just kind of did without question. Now you're questioning. Those are all signs of the Spirit's working in your life. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But here's what it does mean. Whenever we do mess up, whenever we do give in to temptation and sin, how we respond is what ultimately dictates the root of our heart. If you feel the remorse, the guilt, and shame that leads you to the cross, that brings you back to God saying, Father, forgive me because I've sinned against you, then that's a sign that you are part of his kingdom. If you can continue into a lifestyle of sin without any desire for repentance, without any desire of wanting to get right with God, that's what I would do to like question my devotion to Jesus. Like if I can continuously do something I know to be blatantly wrong and against the teachings of scripture and not feel any remorse and not have any desire to repent, that's where you would start to question your allegiance to Christ. Because what kind of a disciple doesn't want to heed to the commands of his master? That starts to reveal the root of our heart. Like we don't feel like Jesus is truly Lord of our life. And we've made ourselves Lord. That's where you use this scripture to help point us to the beauty of the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you're here and you've been following Jesus and you've been battling sin and temptation, that is not wrong. Temptation is going to be an ongoing struggle for all of us this side of eternity. But what are you going to do with that? Are you going to come to Jesus and experience the beautiful forgiveness that we were singing about in our worship today? That the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse you and to give you the forgiveness that we desperately need? That's what Jesus wants. There's this beautiful verse, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John was writing that to Christians. That verse is to you in here who are followers of Jesus who have been battling different temptations, who are battling different struggles. And right before he introduces that verse, John puts a caveat. Hey, don't be out here pretending like you have no sin because if you're a Christian here, you're saying like, I mean, I don't have any struggles. The phrase John uses is you're a liar and you're going to make God out to be a liar because God knows that every single one of us here are broken people. There's not a single person in this room that's got it all figured out that's perfect. None of us. Me included. None of us. We're all sinful, broken people in desperate need of God's grace. And so if you're struggling with something, I want to implore that you would pursue God, confess your sins to God, and let his forgiveness wash over you to give you the peace in your heart to continue to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. But maybe you're in here today, and as you examine your life, you come to the other conclusion like, man, I think I've been playing games with God. I don't think I've ever truly repented of my sin, had a change of heart, change of mind that led me to want to place all my trust and all my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then, brother and sister, what I want to challenge you is, would today be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You have eternity at stake. And there's no better day than today to come to the Lord and say, I need you. Would you rescue me from my sin? Would you give me eternal life? And so I want to challenge you, reach out to God because he wants to extend forgiveness to you. He loves you and he wants to offer you grace. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the teachings and the scriptures that help lead us to life. Lord, I pray for all of us here today that we can experience the love and the forgiveness that you offer us. Lord, would you continue to work in us in order to work through us? And Lord, would you help us to resonate with the truth that the fruit of our life ultimately will reveal the root of our heart? God, we wanna honor and glorify you with everything that we do as your people. We love you and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen.